Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. You know, a lot of folks, when they come to the Lord, they need something from Him. Well, we all need something from Him. I think we know that deeply. But some folks will come, as TC referenced, saying, I need a father. Uh, I need a savior. I need uh, someone to make sense of my life. Straight up truth, I needed God to be funny. Uh, all of my life, I had seen God as distant and mystic and even a little mean. And so for me, it was actually a laughing Jesus that finally in the woods at college, I went to Berry College, which is mostly woods. That's why, you I mean, what does that mean, woods at a college? Anyway, it's most, like 28,000 acres. And so I was walking in the woods and I said, God, I'm not coming out of here until I know I belong to you. And it was a laughing Jesus that finally led me to that point of going, okay, God, I give you everything. And so when I hang out with people like Jay and I'm reminded that we will spend eternity laughing, that if every good and perfect gift comes from God, from the Father of lights, then laughter does too. But as TC was referencing, the, this idea of God being Father is, for a lot of us, a little complicated, isn't it? Uh, and yet, that is exactly what Jesus, in His grace and in His mercy, and as He was drawing His people to Himself, that, that's where He started. And so, if you have a copy of the Scriptures, and I hope you do, turn to Matthew chapter 6, and that's where we're going to be camping out a little bit this evening. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. So this passage of Scripture is nestled in a whole lot of other truth. In fact, we call it the Beatitudes. Um, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. There are a lot of descriptors given to this particular passage of Scripture, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But nestled in this, in fact, the whole story, the whole sermon was Jesus teaching those who were following him how to follow him, the essence of discipleship. And and so much of where I think our hearts are crying out in a day-to-day -day way is, God, how do I follow you? How do I know you? And I know that the J and, and TC have been walking y'all through honest conversations with God. Like, what, what does it look like to just be real? And, and 100% of Jesus was real. Like there wasn't like the Sabbath Jesus and then, you know, the Wednesday night prayer meeting Jesus and the, hey, let's feed the 5,000 Jesus and let's heal a blind man, Jesus. It was just Jesus, everyday Jesus. And so honest conversations were actually the only thing Jesus knew how to have. And so that's why he invites us into that kind of dialogue. But that's just it, isn't it? A conversation isn't a monologue, it's a dialogue. It's where he's speaking to us as much or more than we're speaking to him. And often when we think about prayer, it is simply us talking to God, us pouring our hearts out to God, and that's right. It is absolutely right. But we have to also be in a position and in a posture to be poured into. And so communing with God is a huge part of that because it isn't just us laying it all out. It's God laying it all in to our soul too, right? And so Jesus outlines what that looks like in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9. Scripture says, 
Let's actually start with verse 8. Therefore, do not be like them. And Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, and he's talking about hypocrites, and he's talking about the religious-sounding, religious-seeming people. He said, don't be like them. Instead, your Father knows what you need before you even ask. So it's really super important because sometimes you and I are, are functional atheists. And what I mean by that is because we know God knows what we need before we ask, we just don't actually pray that much. So we talk a lot about prayer. We sing a lot about prayer. We just don't do it a lot because we think, well, God knows what I need. So, you know, what difference does it make anyway? We're, we're fatalistic, actually, in our behavior, even if not with our words. So our words are saying something that is incongruent with our lives. And Jesus is giving us a really clear model that says that shouldn't be true, Right? And so in verse 9, he says, God knows what you need before you ask. So he's, you're not praying to someone who is unfamiliar with you, who doesn't know your story, who hasn't walked in your shoes. You're praying to someone who knows you and knows you deeply. So pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That very first phrase, our Father, would have absolutely turned the hearts and minds and lives of his listeners upside down. The people that Jesus was talking to knew every bit about God being Lord, about God being sovereign, about God being holy, and make no mistake, he is all of those things. But to refer to him as our father was so radically different than how their minds had constructed and understood God to be. They didn't know that intimacy. They didn't know that nearness. They didn't know that depth. It's not because God had been distant. The, the truth about your walk with God and my walk with God is that if God ever feels distant, the problem isn't him. If he ever seems far, it's not because he's walked away from you at all. He just doesn't actually do that. If there's anything in your life that is misaligned with his, that's where that distance comes in. So when we hear that phrase, our father, undoubtedly it conjures up a whole host of emotions. Maybe you had a dad that you still don't get along with. Maybe you don't speak to. Maybe he died before you could make things right. Maybe he was unkind. Maybe he was distant. And maybe you're projecting all of that onto God. But if you can understand that we see in the person of Jesus Christ that God is the father you always wanted. God is the father you always needed. And so as Jesus is helping his listeners to understand what it means to commune with the father, that's where he's starting. He is our father. So the first thing when we think about communion with God is that it's always been the point. This has always been the desire and the heart of God. And here's the other side of that. It's always been your desire and your heart too. You just may not have known it. It was about two and a half years ago when Janet, my wife, and I got a call that uh, one of our dear friends had gone to the Lord. Her name's Kim. Uh, she had eaten organically all of her life. She was the picture of health. No one could have possibly seen this coming. But she had a tragic reaction to some chemicals she was using to clean, actually. And in a moment, the Lord called her home. 
Her husband, D-Ray, is like a big brother to me. He's that sort of constant Christopher Robin. He and I worked together for many years, and like D-Ray just never had a bad day. And when I say he never had a bad day, I mean like he never had a bad day. Like yeah, sometimes I would say, D-Ray, this, like, this is really frustrating. He's like, no, Tim, it's not the big deal. I'm like, no, it's a big deal. Like, I need you to be mad about this. I need you to be frustrated. He's like, no, it's, it's good. He had such a depth of walk with the Lord. And Kim, his wife, was so much the same way. She was, they had been missionaries in Southern Africa. She had recorded the stories of missionaries around the world. She was one of the good ones. She was about five feet tall and about 90 pounds soaking wet, but she was a giant and impacted lives literally around the world. So, you know, one of those sort of faith moments when you're going, God, why her? Why Kim? Why now? Why D-Ray, this kind, gentle soul who loves you so deeply? Why would you take his bride? Why, God, why? All of the whys that consume our souls in moments of grief. And if we're talking about honest conversations, that's a good time to have them, isn't it? God's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your doubts. He's not afraid to meet you in those moments of pain. And that's exactly where he met our friend D-Ray. After several months, and where D-Ray, by his own confession, if he were here tonight, he would tell you all of this. So I'm not breaking any kind of confidence. He would literally cry himself to sleep every night. And this went on for months and months until the Lord gave him a vision. D-Ray is not a typical charismatic person. He is Southern Baptist through and through and can probably sing all the songs in a hymnal. But he had what he believed was a vision. And in that vision, he saw his wife, Kim, embrace someone, and he couldn't see who it was. But you know what? He didn't have to because he saw the expression. In this vision, he saw the expression on Kim's face that she was running for this person. And when she wrapped her arms around him, all, all D-Ray could see in this vision was her face. And there was such joy, and there was such delight, and there was such peace like he had never seen in all of their years of marriage, he had never seen that expression on her face. And he knew that God was giving him a vision of his wife seeing Jesus face to face for the first time. Communion with God is what it has always been about. That has always been the heart of God to bring us back to himself, but it's actually always been in your heart too. Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in our hearts. Often we don't live this way, we don't act this way, but the reality is that your heart longs for communion with God. We see this all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis when God says, let us make man in our image. And there he's speaking of the triune nature of his existence, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's a big weighty theological term that simply means God is one, but he exists in three distinct persons. And he invited us, his creation, into this beautiful community. When you think about the word communion, wedded into that is community. This experience right here is a picture of the kingdom to come. This experience right here, worshiping God, magnifying God, making much of God, is absolutely beautiful when you're all alone but it is infinitely better when we are together. Why is that? Because your heart pushes my heart and my heart pushes your heart to make much of God. We enjoy him best when we enjoy him together because I'm calling out to you and you're calling out to me. In fact, Isaiah would give us that picture of the angels that stand in the presence of God talking to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Who are they talking to? Each other. They're reminding each other, our God is holy, our God is holy, our God is holy. And that communion is what he has invited you and me into. And it's what our hearts have always longed for. Jesus would say in John 17, this is eternal life, 
that you might know God and the one whom he sent, Jesus Christ. That is what our hearts are longing for. Next, communion with God is a daily experience. Uh, Look at this passage. He continues on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. So often when we read that passage, and it's right that we would think of the material things, even food, as actual physical and material as that is, it would be right that we would associate that with the provision of God. Absolutely, he provides for what we need, but there's something deeper in this passage. Give us this day our daily bread. Let me take you back to the story in John 4 where Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman. Do you remember that story? And what would be or would have been the heat of the day, Jesus sits down by a well in Samaria and the disciples go in town to buy food. You remember, and, and this woman is there alone drawing water at a time in a moment when people didn't go to the well to draw water. And he says to her, give me something to drink. And she said, Why, who, how was it that you being a Jew would talk to me a Samaritan and ask me for water? Because at that time, Jews and Samaritans hated each other, absolutely despised each other. And a strange man talking to a strange woman didn't happen either. And Jesus begins to unfold the broken, tragic story of her life and draw her to himself and set her free. And she knew that he was the Christ and went to tell others that he was the Christ. And his disciples came back. You remember the story. And they tried to give him something to eat. And he said, I've had what I need. He said, I have what? Bread that you know not of. My bread is to do the will of my father. So yes, when we look at Jesus saying that God provides our daily bread, absolutely, he is providing for the needs of his children. Absolutely, he knows what you need. In fact, Jesus began this entire section of scripture saying, God knows what you need before you even ask. But what he knows that you need more than anything is himself. And the similar passage, turn if you will to Luke chapter 11. It is the same Lord's prayer that we see captured in Luke's story of the gospel, but it's a different context. And you may say, but Tim, it looks a little different. Why? So was it part of the Sermon on the Mount or was it separate or how can we trust this? It's very common. And back then you might imagine Jesus didn't have his own YouTube channel. He didn't have his own Facebook page. Like that wasn't a thing. He couldn't like mass text all of the disciples or the congregations. There was nothing going you know, out on um, some sort of MP3 player. Like everywhere he went, the only message that was proclaimed was what actually got voiced, what was spoken and what was heard. So it's entirely possible if the message of the gospel were going to be proclaimed throughout all of Israel and into Samaria and to other parts of the region, it was going to have to be proclaimed. So it's entirely possible that Jesus would have taught the same lesson, would have given the same sermon more than once. In this context, though, it's a little bit different, and it's important that we glean um, this application. So Luke chapter 11 Uh, verse one, scripture says, and it came about while he was praying in a certain place after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. I think it's wildly important that we recognize the disciples never asked Jesus to teach them to do anything else. They didn't ask him to teach them how to cast out demons or how to divide bread and fish. They didn't ask him to teach how to heal, but they did ask, teach us to pray. 
If you've ever tried to pray, and I assume everyone in this room has, you know it can be complicated. You know how easily distracted you can become. You know how labor-intensive it can be. You know how in the watches of the night when you're awake and worried about a grade or about a wayward child or about your marriage, that praying is what you know you need to do and often don't know how or don't feel like you can. Well, we're in good company. The disciples had the same struggle. And so in that context, in responding to that question, Jesus said, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name. So immediately it's a posture, a position of worship. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. But then he goes on to tell or to give a more specific illustration. Suppose one of you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a long journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he will answer and say, don't bother me. The door has been shut. My children and I are in bed. I cannot give up and give you anything. So he's saying, if, you, if this is how your neighbor would respond, think about how God would respond. I tell you that even though he would not give up or give you anything because he is a friend, yet because you won't leave him alone in the middle of the night, parents, can you identify with this? Because he won't leave you alone in the middle of the night, you give up, you acquiesce, you go to him, you give him bread. Verse 9, and I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of, you, one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. You won't give him a snake instead, will you? Or if he's asked for an egg, you won't give him a scorpion, will you? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask. The daily bread that you and I need is the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Mark 3.14 says that Christ appointed 12 that they might be with him. And then he sent them out to preach. Our being with Christ precedes all that we might do for Christ. We must abide in his love. We must abide in his presence. What you need more than anything else what is absolutely required for you and from you more than anything else, what is absolutely required of me more than anything else is that I might abide in Christ. What does that look like, though, in practical terms? There are probably a million ways to define this. Let me share with you how I do it. And for those who have walked with the Lord longer and deeper, they would have other counsel and deeper, better counsel, too. So seek them out. But when I meet with the Lord in the morning, and I meet with him every day, because he's not like a vitamin that you just sort of get as you need. He is our life. He is our sustenance. He is our hope. So I sit with the scriptures, and I spend time worshiping the Lord. Hallowed be thy name. That was the instruction Jesus gave. I spend time praising. I spend time worshiping. I spend time talking about how good God is. I spend time confessing sin. But then I also spend time just sitting silently in his presence. And for you and for me, silence and waiting and patience may be the hardest thing we do. Again, we're in good company. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, God said to the nation of Israel, in quietness and rest is your strength. In quietness and rest is your strength. And we hear that, we see that on a plaque from Lifeway, and we're like, I'm gonna put that on my kitchen wall, and that's great. But the rest of the verse sounds like it's right for us, doesn't it? It says, but you would have none of it. That feels really American, doesn't it? 
we're sitting quietly, we're sitting silently, and then, well, we need to check Facebook, or our text just came in, or we're using the Bible app, which is genius, except it allows us to be distracted by everything else on our phones. And so there is so much need, so much desperation in your soul and in mine to be silent, and silence and rest is your strength, Scripture says. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. The rest of that verse says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That is the God that you are talking to. Be still, be quiet, and allow him to speak to you. But allow your own soul to just rest in his presence. And so you might start out setting the timer on your phone. Try five minutes, just sitting silently, not with a laundry list of things, Say nothing to the Lord. Pray nothing to the Lord. Speak nothing. Allow him to speak to you. Create space in your life and then maybe make it 10 minutes. Maybe make it 30. And you will come to a point where all of a sudden when you get in the car and you go to turn on the radio or you go to listen to a podcast, there's something in your soul that says, no, I just need to be. I just need to be with Jesus. So communion with the Lord was always the plan. It was always in the heart of God. Communion with the Lord is a daily experience. Our daily bread, and communion with the Lord is forever. You don't have to turn there, but listen to Revelation chapter 21. The beginning of the story was that God would make a way for us to be with him. The beginning of the story in the scriptures is let us make man in our image, this idea that God would invite us into community with him And that's where the story ends to. Revelation chapter 21 says this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Hear this. Just let this truth wash over your soul. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning, crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. Verse 22, and I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple forever and always We will commune with the Father. That is what this story is all about. That is what your life is all about. That is the invitation to you from God our Father to know him and to walk with him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the reality of such a high and holy invitation into your presence, into your life, into your love. Thank you, Lord Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we want to transition into a time of communion, the Lord's Supper. To together spend time thanking Christ for making a way.
the scriptures command us not to take of the bread and the fruit of the vine in an unworthy manner. So in these moments, as the team prepares us, uh, prepares to lead us in worship, would you just choose in this moment to settle your own soul in the presence of the Lord? Ask him to search and know your heart and to see if there's anything in your own life that you need to confess, that you need to forsake, anything that's standing in the way of what the Lord wants to do and in through you. Spend time just confessing sin. Spend time worshiping. Spend time thanking him. Spend some time remembering. as you feel ready, remove the the purple cellophane from the top of your canister and remove that little wafer. There is no saving value in this cracker. It's a symbol. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, reminded them of these words that Our Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took this bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. As he gave it to them, he said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. And he told them as they ate this bread, as they remembered him, to celebrate, to treasure to remember. So let's do that tonight too. We may eat of the bread. Paul said in the same way he took the fruit of the vine and he said this represents my blood that is shed for you. And it was shed for them. But it was shed for you too. In fact, Scripture says, apart from the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. You may drink of the fruit of the vine. And then Paul said to this church at Corinth, As often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And church, when he comes again, every deep desire of our souls will be satisfied. Our faith will be made sight and we will be with him forever. And so Lord Jesus, from the bottom of our hearts, we say thank you. Thank you for the chance to remember. Thank you for the gift of communion. In your name we pray, amen.